Hey, where are you going? As soon as I get up, you guys ditch. What, what's going on? I, I know you're trying to do this without anybody noticing, but that didn't work, did it? Hey, this is a special day, not just because it's Mother's Day. It's a special day for me because I have a friend here who's actually going to come up and, and share with us this morning. Um, you've heard me talk about trips to Costa Rica and this guy who puts them on, Curtis Burnham. And uh, so he, Curtis is our newest missionary here at Berean Baptist Church, so it's going to be uh, good, I think, for all of us to hear from him today. So Curtis, why don't you go ahead and come on up. Uh, I know Curtis's connection to, I guess my connection to Curtis has been through the church I just left in Alaska. Uh, Curtis worked at many, 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 many years ago. Many, many. Many, many years many, ago. A plethora. A plethora of years. But uh, hey, before, you, before I turn it over, can I pray for you? Yeah, please. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for Curtis. And thank you for Jen, mm-hmm. who's uh, was at home in Florida. Just pray that you will bless both of them, Lord. And uh, I pray, God, your spirit will, will speak in and through Curtis this morning. And the result will be all of us taking a step closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, Berean family. How y'all doing today? You like that y'all? You know, I know Ohio's southern, right? So, through in the y'all. Um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to share, first of all, a little bit about our ministry, about our life, so you get to know us. But then I also want to share something from the Word, too, and just something that God has put in my heart, and actually something that, uh, it's one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, and just a, a great story that I love. But to start with, um, my wife Jen and I, we uh, have been married 31 years. We have four kids, Travis, Tyler, Snowy, and Chloe, and um, we're actually empty nesters. This year, we had to kind of figure out the whole empty nesting thing, and it's been weird because my wife and I, we both love hanging out with our kids and having kids in the home and just the mess and the chaos that goes with that, and it's just the two of us, and we kind of look at each other and go, man, this is kind of boring. We got to get things going, make it more exciting. So it's been a fun year of figuring out... um, empty nesting and all that good stuff, but um, we pretty much stay very busy with life and ministry and all that we are doing. Uh, Jen and I, we work with a missions organization. In fact, you guys can go ahead and put the PowerPoint up there, and uh, we're just going to kind of walk you through what this is Jen and I, and we work with a missions organization called Missionary Gospel Fellowship, and the cool thing about Missionary Gospel Fellowship is they, they want us to create our own job description. Isn't that fun? So we have to create our own job description, and we call our ministry the Multiply Project. And Multiply Project because what we get to do and what we do is we are all about multiplying disciple making. And that is what we do. And we do that through mission trips. We do that through youth ministry training. And, and, and we do that through just working and partnering with churches and creating discipleship in, in churches and helping with that as well. And, and so we have been doing this for about 20 years now. Um, Before this, I was a youth pastor in Anchorage, Alaska, and we had the privilege of actually helping plant the church that Dan and I worked at, and Jen and I got to start the youth ministry with six kids in in our apartment, and then from there, the church grew, our youth ministry grew, and in 2001, I had the privilege of going on a missions trip to Bolivia, and on this missions trip, I was going to do youth ministry training with a group of guys. And we were working and partnering with an organization, and we went down, and we did this youth ministry training in La Paz, Bolivia. And what was cool is in my college years, I had a chance to play basketball with a a league there. It was a Christian team, and so it was kind of exciting to go back. But in that time of going to Bolivia and doing this youth ministry training, I forgot to, I skipped something. I grew up in Colombia, South America as a missionary kid. 
And so I speak Spanish fluently, and that's a whole other, another story of being a missionary kid in Colombia. But I grew up in Colombia, and so I had exposure and, and, and traveling in Latin America. And, and so for me, going on this trip was going to be exciting to go back somewhere that I had been before, and I speak Spanish. And so I was just going just to learn and see um, what they were doing. Well, in that trip, they needed someone to do youth ministry training because they, they, they needed more trainers. And so they said, Curtis, would you be willing to do some training? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So that weekend, I got to do a training with about 100 youth leaders and youth pastors in La Paz, Bolivia. And in that weekend of doing that, when I was done, it was like the Lord said, Curtis, this is what you will be doing next. And I just said, yeah, right, God. That's not going to happen. I've been in Alaska. We started this youth ministry. It's amazing. It's growing. Um, We love living in Alaska. And, and our kids are born and raised there now. And my wife, she's from Alaska. Lord, you, you forgot about Jen. How are we going to get Jen out of Alaska? This is her home. She was raised there and lives there. And, and so I said, okay, Father, if you're calling me to do this, um, you got to call Jen. And I am not going to say a word to Jen. I heard some men laugh just now. <laughs> Obviously, you've had some experiences with that. Um, so I said, Father, you're going to have to call Jen and I will not say a word to her about this. Somehow it's going to have to come up, and you're going to have to lead this. So about several months after us being home, I me mean being back home, and we're, one day we were talking, probably two or three months later, and she said, you know what? When you're in Bolivia, I just felt like what you were doing there, training youth pastors, I felt like that's what we'd be doing next. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? So I told her what God laid in my heart. And sure enough, we both just knew without a shadow of a doubt that even though we loved doing youth ministry in Alaska, we loved our church, we loved what we were a part of, we knew that God was moving us. So, excuse me, in 2002, we sold everything we owned. We had to raise support as missionaries. We loaded up our van um, with a little U-Haul trailer, and we headed south to Florida. 20 days later, we ended up in Florida, South Florida, and we've been living there ever since. And so what we do... And in South, I was going to walk you guys through some pictures, because sometimes pictures tell a better story. We do several things, but one of the things we do is discipling students and adults through short-term mission trips. In this picture here, we're actually in Brussels, Belgium. And what we have done for the past 15 years is we travel through Europe with high school students anywhere from 25 to 50. And we would camp through Europe, and we'd be in about eight or nine, ten different countries, depending on the plan that year. And we disciple the students along the way, but we're doing ministry in Europe. And we do evangelism. Uh, we use street performance in different ways of sharing the gospel. We've had the privilege of help planting churches in Holland. We've worked in ministries in other parts of, um, of Europe. And the goal, though, is about discipling the students and giving them an experience of missions and what that looks like. And man, Jen and I have had the privilege of taking hundreds upon hundreds of students over the years to Europe and have seen God just do amazing things in their hearts and lives. Seen people come to Christ. We've seen students come to Christ. We've seen students' lives completely transformed and changed. Uh, along with that, we, um, I do a lot of youth, uh, mission trips for youth groups throughout the year. And this is an experience we've been doing in Costa Rica for a while where we take youth groups and we partner with local churches and we work in schools teaching English. It's an instant inroad for us to go teach English, work with the English class. The students get to build a relationship with these students. They get to share their story, share their life with the, uh, this, the students there. 
and we partner with youth groups, and it's been incredible. And so throughout the school year, I partner with churches like Berean Baptist and other churches around the United States, helping the churches and youth ministries set up partnerships with churches and ministries in other countries. And our goal is to help develop a partnership that will last and not just be a one-time trip. And so we've been doing this in this area of Costa Rica in Cachi, which is by Cartago, for about 10 years now. And we have a relationship. We've seen young people come to Christ there that are now in the church. And there, some of them are even leaders in the church now. So it's been really exciting. But it's also had an impact on these students. And I kind of tell people this. When we do a mission trip like this, I kind of use 1 Thessalonians 2.8 as kind of our theme verse for these mission trips. And Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, you know, we love you so much that we didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared our very lives with you. And I really believe that that's what it's all about. When we take the gospel to people, it's not just about bringing the gospel or going and building a church or building, doing a building project, but it's about sharing our lives with them. And when we share our lives with them, guess what happens? The gospel comes out. Because we have Christ in our lives, they're going to see it. And we're going to have an opportunity to share it. And we're going to have a chance to share our love for Christ with them as we share our life with them. And so that's one of the things that we've done through relational ministry in, in, um, in Costa Rica, Colombia, Guatemala, El Salvador. Man, um, we go all over the place. Um, one of the things we want people to do, too, is experience life and ministry in other cultures. In the very top corner, top corner my wife and I, we have a group of students. A couple years ago, we actually took a team of students via Eurail um, all over Europe. And we traveled by Eurail. And we only lost one student that summer. Isn't that great? Somehow she got off the the wrong stop in Berlin at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we saw all these two girls standing there. We're all on the train, and we're like, stay there. Don't move. And we had to come back and get them. We didn't lose them. We found them. But anyways, we do a lot of different ways of doing ministry and traveling and missions with the idea of experiencing life and ministry and cultures. In the top left corner is a group of students sharing Christ with some Muslim girls in Brussels, uh, Belgium. Europe is full of Muslims nowadays. And you can go anywhere in Europe and have conversations and share the gospel with Muslims. And you have a complete instant inroad to do that. And so we've had an opportunity to work a lot with Muslims um, and, and, and Muslim ministries. And also just go out into the streets and meet Muslims and share the gospel with them. And what's amazing is they have a desire to have conversations. We have had incredible opportunities to share the gospel and have those conversations with them. Um, and then in the very bottom left, right corner there, I also do a lot of just discipleship training with youth groups and, and, and ministries, and it's just a lot of fun. Also, along with this, we do um, a lot of youth ministry training throughout Central and South America. And I think I might, yeah. So we're training youth leaders in the Spanish-speaking world. On the right-hand side, I was actually in Mexico uh, doing a big conference for youth leaders and youth, and youth. And then on the left, right now, I'm still doing this right now. This is a group from Colombia. And I'm actually doing a disciple-making training with them and how to work with youth and students and also how you disciple them along the way. They have a soccer ministry in Colombia, and we started working with them about 10 years ago. I started training them in youth ministry and disciple-making, but then also how do you take what you do in soccer and make a missions trip out of it? And they have been doing missions trips all over the world. And it's been exciting because once they got the idea and the concept and understood it, they have taken off. They've been to the Olympics. They've been to World Cup events. They've been to the Middle East taking soccer. And recently, 
we had them go to El Salvador, where I've been working, and train youth leaders there in how to put together a soccer club. And this one guy is doing a soccer club with kids whose parents are from the, the gang life of MS-13 and some of these really, really messed up, rough gangs. So that's kind of some of the things that we get to do um, in Central and South America. Um, along with that, we are also get a chance to just work with churches, like I said, like Berean Baptist and throughout the United States, and helping you develop partnerships with churches overseas and ministries overseas. And the goal and the heart behind it, and I'll just repeat this, is really about making disciples. Is how do we disciple people and help them understand what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ and go live that out? Um, Today, I want to share with you from Ephesians, and I just want to close with this, and it's something that really, um, I love this passage, and if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to share one last PowerPoint I forgot about that I got to show, in case you guys might want to go with us someday. Here it is, Dan's first trip to Costa Rica with me. So in the left picture, Dan is about ready. You know, I took Dan to the grocery store, and the guy could not stop touching all the fruit, you know? Um, but he grabbed this, it's called a guanabana, and a, a good friend of Dan and I, we took the picture because Kyle, he was not there this, on this trip with us, but a friend of ours from Alaska, Kyle, loves this fruit, and so I had Dan get a picture of this guanabana fruit. But Dan is a legend in Costa Rica. Because as you can see the picture on the right, Dan is butchering a goat. So Dan shows up, he's like, Curtis, I want to butcher something. And I'm like, okay, let's find something to butcher. I go, there goes a dog, how about that? Um, we passed in the dog, but we, we talked to a friend of our, mine, and we got a goat. So Dan uh, por, uh, forks out 80 bucks, he buys his old goat, they bring it to us in a pickup truck, and Dan gets his knife out, and right there at the camp, he butchers this, this, this goat, and hangs it up, and he's there all day just butchering meat and cutting up meat. And these Costa Ricans, they were just laughing. They couldn't believe he was doing this. And, you know, they hadn't seen this before. And, and so that night, we had a big, huge goat feast. And the guys actually cooked the dinner for everybody, and we had invited the church to come. And a couple of, we had, man, we had a ton of people there. And that night, we ate goat and these plantains that are called patacones or tostones that are amazing. And I, we had our fill that night, but Dan is still, they still talk about that. And our original plan was the following year, we were going to butcher a cow. And we were going to go big or go home. And so we were going to butcher a cow that year, but it didn't work out. So um, they ended up doing a barbecue for us instead. Um, but yeah, if you ever want to do a trip like that with us, man, it's a lot of fun. It is a great time um, and also life-changing. But let's jump into Ephesians chapter 2. And I really want to share three things. And I'm going to try to make it quick. Um, in El Salvador, I was preaching one time, and I asked the pastor, how much time do I have? And he goes, oh, you just go as long as you want. And so Dan told me that same thing today. Yeah, you just go as long as you want, Curtis. You know, it's only Mother's Day. They all have reservations at restaurants afterward, but don't worry about it. So hopefully we'll get out of here by one. You'll see. Um, but let me pray for us really quick. Father, I want to thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you for the truth of your word. Right now, I ask that you would still our hearts and minds, and that we would just open up our hearts and minds, our souls to you and your word. I'm asking that your spirit would, would speak to us, meet with us today. I thank you for each person present, and ask you that you would just meet them right where they're at today through your word and through your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So what I want to do is we're going to look at, uh, uh, I'm going to read verses, uh, in chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through about 5, and then we'll jump down to the next section and go from there. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I want to stop right there for a second. I think there's some things that we see here. One of the things I love about this is that Paul is like reminding them, he's reminding the Ephesians of where they came from. And I think it's sometimes it's important to reflect and look back on where we came from. It's important to look back and think about what God has done in our life. And I think sometimes we take for granted what it is that God has done for us and done in our lives. And so Paul has reminded them, you know, at one point you were dead in your transgressions. You were lost. Physically, you were alive, but spiritually, you were dead. You had no life, no spiritual breath in you. Why? Because of your transgressions, because of your sin that separates you from God. And what I love is that Paul includes himself in this. He says, all of us. He doesn't just say, it's, um, it's you guys. He includes himself, a religious, quote, man who, who was a Jew of Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, well-educated. He knew the law forward and backward, but he also had had an encounter with Jesus. And he even said throughout his writings, what a wretched man am I. You know, Paul knew where he had come from. So he includes himself in this. But what I love about this is this. But it was by God's grace, by his love, by his mercy, we have been pulled out of that. And you know what? That is why my wife, Jen, and I do what we do. Because we live in a world today that is lost, dead, in their sin. And they have no way of getting out. No matter how hard, no matter how religious they are, no matter, I've, I've met so many people that say, man, I'm just hoping that my good outweighs my bad and that God will let me in. Or, or I've met many Islam, Muslim people that will say, you know, if Allah wills it and I, I'm doing really good and I'm following all these things, therefore I will make it. And, and, and we know those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ who have been pulled out of the muck and the mire of sin and have new life in Christ, we know that that's not the case, that we can't work our way to heaven. And so Jen and I are passionate about the fact that we first want to take the gospel to places that have not heard the gospel. But along with that, we want to help students and adults go with us and take that message because what we have learned as we proclaim the message of Christ, you know who it transforms a lot of times even more? Us. The more I share the gospel, I've had, if I had a dollar for every student has told me this over the years, I'd be a wealthy man. Students will say, Curtis, I've noticed that the more I share my faith with people, the more passionate I become about my faith in Christ. And that is the truth. And, and the more I share and teach it and share it with other people, the more excited I get about it. But what we see here is that Paul tells them, Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I think we all have heard that verse over and over again. It's a verse I've used a million times to share and explain the gospel message to people. But you know what? It's because of God's grace. He gives us what we don't deserve and doesn't give us what we really truly deserve, his grace and his mercy, that we can do what we get to do. And I truly mean we get to do what we get to do. Jen and I, um, we appreciate the fact that God has called us to do and take the gospel and disciple people and train and equip. It's something that we feel fortunate and blessed to do, but it's because of God's grace and mercy. Not because Curtis Burnham is some amazing dude, because I'm not, but it's because of what God has done in my heart and life that I'm able to do this. And I want to show you proof of that in verse 10, because a lot of times we go to verse 9 and we leave out verse 10. And I think verse 10 is key in all of this. Listen, look what verse 10 says. It says, For we are God's handiwork, or your version might say workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I want to explain it to you this way. That word handiwork or workmanship, what it really means is masterpiece. I love that. Think about that. We are God's masterpiece. Now, right now, you might not feel like it physically. <laughs> you know, it's rainy outside. It's gloomy. It's just like, I don't feel like God's masterpiece right now. But we are God's masterpiece. How do I know that? Look what it says. Because we are created in Christ Jesus. I remember my very first time, um, one of the places that we always go to in Europe on our missions trip, we always would stop in Paris. Have you ever been to Paris? All right, we've had some people been to Paris. Anybody want to go to Paris? Come on, raise your hand. Do you want to go to Paris? Oh, yeah. Um, now, some of you are like, no, I don't want to go anywhere right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of typically most average high school student, um, American, Paris is like one of their first places they ask me about. Are we going to Paris? Yeah, we're going to Paris. Yes, and they get all excited. Um, but one of the things I always do and try to do when we go to Paris is I take them to a famous museum called the Louvre. You've probably heard of it. And this Louvre is ginormous. It's this giant museum. Well, in the Louvre, there is a famous work of art. And every year that I would take students there, and I, I remember my very first year doing this, um, they were all excited. We got into the Louvre, we're going, and we all made a V-line for one place, with, along with a million other tourists, in this one single-file line. And we're zigzagging through the museum to go to this one room where we are going to find a famous piece of art. Anybody know what it would have been? That's right. Good job. Mona Lisa. And we get, to, we get to this place, and we get in this big, huge room, and there's works of art, just beautiful artwork everywhere. And I walk in, and I must confess, I am probably the world's worst tourist ever. I don't really like museums. My idea of seeing artifacts and, and, and tourist stuff is eating food, Okay. I eat my way through places. That's my idea of being a tourist. And as we are in this museum, I look at all these amazing works of art around the room. And I'm actually impressed. I'm like, wow, I definitely can't do that. I do stick figures, and I can't do that. But it was beautiful. But that's not where the people are at. The people are over in one side of this big room, and I'm looking to see what they're looking at. And I remember we walk up, and there on this big wall 
was the most disappointing thing I've ever seen in my life. It was this little picture of Mona. And I'm like, that's it? I have waited in this line and I've zigzagged through this museum for that? Honestly, she's kind of homely. You know, and I was told that she'll wink at me if I stand at a certain angle. And she didn't wink. It was just really just not that impressive. But people were taking pictures, and they're standing around and talking and looking at it. And I'm trying to act interested and get excited, but I'm just like, this is lame. So later on, I went to somebody who knows everything, and that is Google. And so I Googled about Mona Lisa to find out what's up with Mona and why is everyone so excited about Mona Lisa. So as I looked and started researching Mona, you know that Mona Lisa has, they can't put a value on it? It's priceless. And, and I started asking, why is it priceless? And then I started reading about the artist behind it. Who, anybody know who created Mona Lisa? Pastor Dan. <laughs> That's what makes it so amazing. Um, not quite, but close. The uh, Da Vinci, Leonardo Da Vinci. And, and, and what it said is what makes it so valuable is because of its creator. And when I read that and saw that, it made me go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. What makes us a masterpiece is not because we're good-looking or talented or go to church or because we can do this or do that. Um, no, what makes us a masterpiece is because we are created in Christ Jesus. It's our creator. We are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We are born again. We are alive in Christ. And here it says that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. So the fact that I'm in Christ, I'm created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. And I think a lot of times what Paul shows them here, he says, first of all, remember where you came from. You were dead in your transgressions; you were lost, but by grace you've been saved. You now have life in Christ because of God's grace and mercy. But guess what? You're his masterpiece. You are created in Christ Jesus. You have a new identity, a new life, but there's a purpose for it. To do good works that he has prepared for you in advance to do. And I think that last bit there, many Christians miss out on. Because we might be involved in church, we might be involved in Bible studies, and we go this, but we miss out on that part that God has created us for good works and has a place for us. And you know, when I figured that out and understood what God had called me to, man, it was exciting and fun, and, 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 and it was really incredible to be able to be a part of that. And I want to close with this, because Paul is sharing from his own personal story here. Paul is sharing this because this is personal for him. And I want to close with verse, in verse, chapter 3. Look what it says in verse 6 and 7. This mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I, speaking of himself, Paul, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. What Paul is saying is this, at the moment of my salvation, at the moment that I accepted the grace of God in my life, I became a servant of Christ Jesus. Wow. 
And that is for each one of us. At the moment of our salvation, the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we accept his grace and mercy, we have new life in Christ. We now become servants of Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus for the works that he has for us that he's prepared in advance. What was the work that God had prepared Paul for? And we don't have time to look at all this, but you go to Acts chapter 9, God prepared for Saul to go to the Gentile nation. That was his people group. And I believe that God calls us all to a people group. Maybe they're right around us. My people group has been in youth ministry, students, youth pastors, overseas, in in America, all over the world, um, high school students. If you're a high school student or middle school student here today, guess what? Your people group might be those in your class with you, might be somebody on your sports team. For us adults if in the workplace, maybe a relative, a friend, a family. Um, but the fact is this, and this is the truth from God's word. In Christ Jesus, we have been created for good works, and we have been created for a purpose. We've been saved from something, from our sins, for something. Life in Christ to take out the message of Jesus Christ. And that is what Jen and I are passionate about doing. And I could go on and on and on, but I'm going to stop because the worship team is up here, and we're going to close with a worship song. And I just want to pray before we close with worship. Join with me, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for allowing me to be here today to share, to share my heart and what you have put on my heart. Thank you for your word. God, I want to pray that you, out of this place, would raise up young men, young women, adults as well, that would just be passionate about their identity in you, their new life in you, and that we would recognize that, God, you have created us in Christ Jesus for good works, and that not everyone has to do what I do. We all are called to make disciples right where we're at. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for each family represented here. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone today that's just struggling with understanding or even appreciating the fact that they are your masterpiece, that they would just grasp hold of your love, your mercy, your grace, are new every day, and that you have a purpose and a plan for them. If anyone here does not know you, Father, does not have a relationship with you, I'm asking you to draw them to yourself, that they would see that you want to fill them and give them peace and give them hope that only comes from Jesus. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. And we just worship you and praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Have a great day.